Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the All Things to All People podcast, a place where we explore what it means to be on God's great mission to gather persons of every tribe, language, people group, and nation, where we wrestle with the challenges of radical love and inclusion of all cultures into one family as a true kingdom alternative to the world. Let's get to it. You are listening to the All Things to All People podcast with Michael Burns and my co-host Jason Alexander. I am Michael Burns, and today Jason and I are going to pick back up where we left off a couple weeks ago. We've had a couple of great guests on our last two episodes, and now we're going to go back to 1 Corinthians and continue to consider the great lie and its role in the church in Corinth, how Paul challenged and addressed that with the congregation there, and then eventually we have an eye on what that's going to mean for us. So that is where we are going to pick up today, and I believe we left off at chapter 6 through 10, where we were talking about the reality that uh, Paul lays out to the Corinthian congregation, and he, in essence, says you you want to start conversations about what you can and can't do in the world and what's acceptable and not. You want to start that from the place of your rights and what your status uh, allows you to have, and in in sort of large sweeping. Uh, framework, Paul says, yeah, I don't think that your rights are where a Christian would want to start the conversation. And then he goes point by point. We didn't really dig into the specific elements of 6 through 10, and we're, we're not going to do that here, although it's certainly tempting to dig into that. But we're going to pick up in chapter 11 today with a a wild and crazy passage, one of the most difficult to interpret and understand and and more controversial passages in the whole New Testament. So that is where we will pick up today. Before we get to all of that today, though, it is time. Oh, I hope you're excited. Here it is. News of the Squatch. Jason, how you doing today? Uh, really good. S- so far. Uh, we'll see. It's always, that's always good. You, you Never once have I said, Jason, how you're doing? And you're like, miserable. Yeah, well, I mean, you ha- you got your recording, so... Uh, I, I don't want to. So are you, are you saying you are dishonest on the podcast I'm, at times? Yes. Okay. Uh, uh, no, I mean, you, you have to, you know, you, I'm wise enough to know how honest I should be. Okay. So inside. So, wisdom it's a, so your dishonesty yeah, is right. wisdom. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So for, for our purposes, I'm doing really well. Okay. No, I'm doing good. I'm just playing. I, I always, I, I, I don't, you know, I never stop to assess actually how I'm, I'm doing. Uh, so that you usually means I'm in some kind of 
uh, autopilot. I'm doing, I'm doing well enough. So. All right. Well, I'm, yeah. I'm doing even better today than normal because we have okay. a special friend joining us on the podcast right. today. I don't even want to call her a guest right now. Yeah, we're no, going to call true. her a special friend appearance. Gianna Hearn, who, if you're a regular listener to the podcast, you will remember. Yes, that's. Oh, so she gets she gets theme music. I ask you for weeks <laughs> and weeks to do a news well, of the squash was, theme music. Yeah, and yeah. you put it off and didn't do it. Well, you asked for something original. The the whatever that is, the the buzzer, right? That's that that's already. That already exists. Well, so was... it's it's inception like, let's just say that's that. true. Yeah. yeah. So but anyways, if you listened last year, you would have heard Gianna on as a guest. And Gianna's gonna join us today as a friend. Gianna, what's up? Michael, I, I like the fact that you're calling me a friend in public now. You're you're letting the world know we have a friendship. <laughs> Your family, we have friendship and Jason, we're just meeting. That's right. We have a new friendship. Yes. That's right. I, I, unlike Jason, I'm not ashamed to be friends with you, Gianna. Um, (laughs) and I just realized there's two different ways you could interpret that last. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So I, uh, you, you, you're implying that I am not friends with her or you're implying that you're not friends with me, right? One of those. Or, or ashamed rather. Yeah. Yes. Ashamed. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, well, guess what? I'm definitely set against whatever you're about to drop on. Oh, I'm about to change your Uh, mind, my friend, because if you remember a couple weeks ago, I promised incontrovertible proof that will forever change Jason from the skeptic category to the eh, maybe category, if not full blown squatch. False. Gianna, do you believe in, in, uh, uh, the the Bigfoot uh, believe in maybe that's not the right word. Do you think it exists? I guess. So, so listening to the podcast before, I think I fall in between you and Michael because okay. I don't think I've seen enough to believe it, and I don't think I've seen enough to not believe it. So yeah, I'm interested. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so you, you haven't given it enough thought. Yeah. Okay. Just, that's probably wise. Just you wait. Because you're about to move. First of all, let me ask this question. Can you both see what that is? See. I'm showing you on the video. Of course, people listening can't. That is a bar of soap. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know about that. And what's the name of the soap? Yeah, Dr. Dr. Squatch. Dr. Squatch. Would they just make a bar of soap based on something that didn't exist? Yes. Yeti water bottles. What do you mean, yes? Yeah. They do it all the time. Like what? Name one thing. Let me think of something. I mm. mean, mm. Barney's something. Barney's not a real thing. Yeah, it is. Right? Well, that's true. Th- I mean, there's no I Barney mean, yes, soap. Not Barney soap. But you know, you got me on this one off the top okay. of my head. Can't think you of know something. What, though? But- you know what? I'm going to get an email from somebody going like, oh, yes, there's some bubble bath <laughs> Barney from 15 years ago. Okay, so, but that's not my real evidence. Here's my real evidence. I just sent you both a video, which is a dramatic Bigfoot footage videotaped in Idaho recently. If people want to look it up, just put in Bigfoot video Idaho and it will come up dramatic. It's like 30 seconds long, Um, but it is a Sasquatch that was videotaped 
in the woods in Idaho. You both just are watching it right now. I saved it. I didn't let you watch it ahead of time. You're seeing it now. Mm-hmm. Bam. Mm-hmm. What other explanation? That's a clear video of a creature walking. It's not grainy. It's not distant. It's probably 20 feet away. It's clear as day. What say you now? Yeah, I, this, it's just, the, it's like he's taking one step. There's not enough. It's just like a, what do you call it? A GIF? Uh, it's uh, like it's boomerang mode. It's just him taking a step over and over. I needed to turn and look at us to make a decision, I think. Mm. I really think if this was real, whoever shooting that footage would not have only taken two seconds worth of a walking Sasquatch. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Oh, now we're going to be all judgy. Like, so Jason's standard now becomes a facial shot. You need a facial shot. And Gianna, what do you know about video footage? Are you some sort of video expert? I love you bring that up because I was just about to, you, you mentioned how it wasn't grainy or wasn't okay. Mm -hmm. I've been in the journalism department or field industry for the last decade. Oh yeah. That is, that is one of the most grainy videos I've seen. (laughs) I was going to say, yeah, it's not like, it's not very clear. Not not in the world of Sasquatch videos. That's pretty good. (laughs) Yeah. It's pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good doesn't cut it for evidence of truth. <laughs> but, but but hey, it's not it's not like it's not a log. It's not a duck. What else would that true. be? That's a large You can make out. Yeah, creature. no there's a silhouette of a of a humanoid like figure. But it, it Mitch Hedberg's argument for the existence of Bigfoot was he said Bigfoot is blurry. <laughs> oh my <laughs> so he, even if you encounter one that's how they look up in real life um yeah this is fake dude this fake. is a big this is a big man uh, and I, I actually today i i got an uh an email like a halloween email uh like uh amazon halloween costumes and there was a bigfoot costume for sale for, I think it was $119. Cause I was like, Oh, maybe that'd be worth buying. Then I saw it was $119. I quickly closed, closed the window. Closed the deal. But, yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> it's on its so, way. But, but my point is like that costume is exactly what we're looking at right now. It just looks like a, a larger person wearing that costume. Like an eight foot tall person. That's not an eight foot tall person. Do you know that? I think, well, okay, it, let's see. It looks eight foot tall to he, me. Fair, to be fair, it's a big, it's a big, it's big. He's big, whatever it is. Yeah. Guess, <laughs> guess what? Yeah. Guess what is allegedly eight feet tall? <laughs> Care to is that the, guess. is that the height? Generally seven and a half to eight feet. Sasquatch. Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> no, I was yeah, just I'm... in Idaho too. Okay. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, G. No, I was just going to say, I'm I'm looking more into it as a journalist, reading the little bylines that they have there. <laughs> One, just checking, what is the news source that actually posted this? I mean, it's pretty interesting, but now, it says that just, it quite possibly can't be a human because of the size. And I just don't believe that. I don't believe that. There's people like Shaq. There's people like 
obviously, yeah. you know, many people, the NBA, I don't think they take the time to do this, but there are other people who are not using their size for athletics. And this may be the job for them. One second though, Mrs. Hearn, because you seem to be implying that things that are posted on the internet aren't automatically true. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I because, would say. <laughs> because what I see, what I see is all kinds of people on the internet posting stories and news stories and things that have no uh, citations, no sources. They just mm -hmm. repeat the story. And so I assumed that was a healthy way mm. to pass along news. Oh, I see it. Yeah. Well done. A healthy way to keep intrigue. Yeah. I like it. But here, I do have a serious question, though. Here's a serious question. What do we do with, and I think it kind of gets to the nature of belief, right? Because you have literally thousands of people who are legitimately normal people who say, I've seen uh, Sasquatch. I've seen an alien. I've seen mm -hmm. a ghost. And I think yeah. most people or a good portion of people tend to just say, well, no, I still don't believe in things. So what do we do with, with eyewitnesses, with faith? Like, are, are they all wrong? Are they all mistaken? Do we just sort of discount it because we don't know what to do with it? Like, what do we do with that? That's, that's what always, it, it does give me pause on these things is there's so many people though that have seen it. And I know last week, Jason, we looked at, uh, you yeah. know, the story that there's some, uh, scientific work now being done in the realm of like alien abductions and that that it might actually be people having lucid dreams and thinking. Oh, that's right. Man, that it's my, alien my abductions. So bad. But that yeah, doesn't. I don't right. think that covers ghost stories and Sasquatch and things like that. So what do we do right. with that? The stakes are so low in terms of believing in Sasquatch. What? <laughs> like whether or not you believe. I take offense at that, sir. Yeah. That is a good point. This that, that bar is a of good soap point. would say that the yeah. stakes are not so low. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. You're you're right. There is something of, of a, a worldview uh, <laughs> there, an openness to the universe, to God, to the unseen, I suppose. The the, the uh, yeah, but I I just feel like I don't know. The Sasquatch, what's the difference? <laughs> But but think in terms of of ghosts and all the people that say I know no, I, yeah I saw a ghost or I saw an alien, and, and that's what and maybe I'm too naive, but I always think like no, people you, aren't I'm just going to make that up, you know, like you're, that you're right. many people. So so it, what is going on that that many people say they saw something? Is it all trick of the eyes? Because I've had some moments where I'm running in the dusk in the morning and I see something and I'm like, Oh, holy cow. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. then I realize it was something else, but my eyes were absolutely telling me, you know, it was this or something, you know? So, um, it, it could be some that, of that. That's but. good. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think, uh, like aliens and Bigfoot to me. Yeah. Like I, I guess I don't really pay much attention to it, but like, uh, 
yeah, like ghosts, like paranormal stuff. Like I, I don't, I don't even really want to talk or think about it because that could scare me. Okay, like that, so we're putting that, those in a different category. G, what do you think about that? Yeah, this? I don't know why though. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Like that's where I was coming from. I think ghosts seem to be a thing that actually could be real, and I don't want to find out. Like if a <laughs> right, Sasquatch right. is real, how is that going to change my life? Okay, there's huge men walking in forest. Okay, I watch where <laughs> yeah, I go. Stay okay. away from the forest. Then. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and aliens. Well, I mean, they haven't got me to this point, and. Uh, I don't know. Aliens, they don't they don't change my life in any way, I don't think. It may change the life of future humans, who knows? But ghosts <laughs> Yeah. Ghosts mm. would be the one thing I think I'm I'm curious right. about, but so too scared yeah. to look into. There so, could be one right now sitting next to us. Right. Ghost. But a, a an alien or a a yeti would be visible. So there's no no threat there. But right, I don't know yeah. if there's a ghost sitting here. That's what freaks mm, me out. So we're going to have to have, have a, a new ghost conversation. No, that's I cool. have a new puppy who just barks out of nowhere down the hall. I'm right. Like, what, exactly. what is there? Yes. I, that creeps me out. Same. Same. I, I always runs through my mind when the dog barks for no reason. I immediately imagine some kind of specter downstairs. <laughs> okay. So I have to tell you this quick. We're going to have to have a separate conversation about ghosts. But... I'll just tell you this quick. When I was a kid, I used to be scared of, and I don't know if it was ghosts or Satan, like reaching in my mind, Satan could reach up from the floor and grab you and pull you down. And so I used to believe, and I'm, I'm, I made this up myself. No one told me this, that if you were actively singing a song about Jesus, then ghosts and Satan couldn't bother you. So if I had to run through like a dark basement or go I through a that. room or whatever, I discovered yep. that the song, at least in my mind at the time, that mentioned Jesus the most was this song that went, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus, Jesus in the morning, Jesus in the noontime, Jesus, Jesus, yeah. Jesus. And, you'd, and so anytime I'd go through a dark <laughs> room, I would sing that song. And like high step run, like like yeah, Walter Payton, yeah. <laughs> so that my feet yeah. couldn't be grabbed. And that was my spiritual armor. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I need that footage. Yeah, right. Yes. And you were never hurt by a ghost all the times you did that. So that's evidence that it, it worked. <laughs> exactly. But I'm guessing the reason they stayed away from you was not because of some kind of uh, magical power, but because it just, that song kind of sucks. <laughs> what? <laughs> they 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 don't want to be around. It. So it's ghosts are awful. music critics now. Is that what yeah, you're there it is. That's okay. right. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> I suppose we ought to get to something important today. Hey, sure. Or serious at least. Um, so, Hey, we've had a couple weeks uh, away from Corinthians, some great conversations with Dr. Douglas Jacoby, and then in the last episode with Mel and Latasha from ODAT and Chip Mitchell from mm-hmm. the Greater Philadelphia Church of Christ, which uh, was a great interview. In fact, Jason, when we got done with that one, I think you said that was your favorite interview that we've yeah. done yeah. to this point. Yeah, it's it was really yeah, good. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, I, I, I think that was a... That was a real life. Uh, it wasn't. It moved from theory to real, creative lives, uh, making moves. So I, I, 
it was good. Yeah. So we are going to pick back up in First Corinthians eleven, as we mentioned in the in the opener, and so, uh, and we're continuing to look at the great lie. First Corinthians eleven is interesting to me. The verse first first sixteen verses because yeah, you and everyone else, <laughs> right? Exactly. There's some interesting stuff in here. Yeah, and. Especially for women. Especially right. imagine that. Hmm. <laughs> yes, we might come to some conclusions today, G, about oh, your wow. church attire. Um, <laughs> I'd love to hear it. Oh, <laughs> that felt like a mocking laugh. Uh, but let's see. Um, let, let me start out, and I just want to read this passage, 1 Corinthians 11. It says, I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the traditions just as I pass them on to you. But I want you to have understood that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is man, but the head of Christ is God. And I just realized I'm going to actually switch translations because I'm reading from a different translation there. How convenient. (laughs) No. You want to choose a translation that corroborates your theories. Oh, yes. Um, no, I want to read. I want to read from the NIV, and then we'll get to this translation. Okay, okay. So let me let me start over. I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the traditions, just as I pass them on to you. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It's the same as having her head shaved, for if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. A man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. It is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority on authority over her own head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it's a disgrace to him? But if that but that if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. So as we read that passage, what's your first reactions? What comes to mind? Thoughts, questions that pop into your head? How do you react to this passage? Mm-hmm. Not everyone yeah. at once. Yeah. Well, I, I guess I can, I can uh, say something. I, I, it's exhausting. I mean, <laughs> the, 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 there's, there's so much happening, and and I think because I'm, I'm familiar with the, 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 uh, you know, almost it feels like unlimited amounts, uh, a limited amount of. Uh, 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 
arguments uh, on each part of this passage, it, it, it can make it exhausting because there, there, are, there are so many details that need to be dealt with um, that it, it makes it hard to, to spend time with it. it it's it's yeah. very easy to just, uh, let's move on because that's just, that'll take, that's a detour that will take a lifetime to literally untangle. almost every word can be disputed translation, right? <laughs> yeah, for real. Yeah. The, the syntax, I mean, there, there are so many discussions here and they're all important. And when I say exhausting, I'm not giving anyone permission to just move through it uh, because it, it does need to be engaged. Uh, uh, but um, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's, it's part of our scripture and it's not unlike uh, much of scripture. That's um, that can be a challenge, uh, mm. but yeah, so that's <laughs> my first impression is, Oh, Oh, where, where to, where to begin? There's no, there's no easy, like, let's just, uh, let's just quick clear that up kind of yeah. uh, solution. Okay. So yeah. there you go. Gee, what's, what jumps out at you about this passage? You know, I think <clears throat> being a young woman, this has been, you know, something I've been looking at and what really catches my eye, I think is verse 11 just because it seems to really shift in what it's talking mm, about mm. from what it said prior. Um, we obviously see there, it says, nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent mm, of woman. Mm, mm. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman, but everything comes from God. So it's like, for me, it really wraps up a lot of it, but in a way that's not very explanatory. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I, yeah, it, yeah, it, it totally. confuses me. And so I'm, I'm like, what, what am I supposed to be getting? So I'm really interested to see <laughs> what you present and how you can clarify anything for well, me. Well, it's yeah, interesting. Michael. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm going to clear it all up today. Yeah. Bam. 20 minutes. That's all I need. No, you, but you bring up, I love that you jump on, on that part right away because, uh, me too. because what's interesting is Paul actually seems rather muddle-headed and contradictory in this passage. He's he's interpreting Genesis in two different ways, quite frankly, because, uh, you know, in, in one part, he says, I want you to realize, uh, you know, the, um, how is it, it, it worded here? Um, let me find the passage. A, a man ought not to cover his head, verse 7, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. So that's Genesis 1, but what he's arguing there is really actually Genesis 2 and rejecting Genesis 1, which says male and female are made in the image of God. So here it seems to imply that only men are the image of God. But yeah. then in verse 11, he completely flips around the argument and goes to Genesis 1 and 2 and says, the woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. But in verse 8, right. he just said, man didn't come from woman, but woman from man. He's literally contradicting himself in the course of a couple verses. Or is he? Well, yeah. And this this is why it's such a, 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 uh, a, a yeah, it's a lot of work because I would immediately want to hit pause and say, let's go spend some time uh, not just thinking through Genesis as a narrative, but it's how its parts are distinct. And, and you know, Genesis chapter two does not use the word image. Um, so it, it, it really is right. a, 
it's a it's it's hard to discern the interpretive practices uh, Paul uses, um, and, and so that, that's why I feel like um, uh, what you've just said makes it such a challenge for Christians because we imagine that when the New Testament references something in uh, in in the Old Testament that we could just turn there and find that exact idea there. But often there's some slippage. There's, yeah. there's a there's a, a, a kind of reinterpretation uh, that's complicated. And, and it, I think it causes uh, some frustration among Christians or at least some uh, curiosity. Yeah. But, I, you know, I was reading uh, Dorothy Lee had, had this year, she published a book on women in the ministry. Um, and she said of this passage, kind of what Gianna was saying, she, she's, I forget the exact phrase, but like she, Paul seems to give with one hand and take with the other in this passage, because it's like in one, in one sense, it feels like what he's doing is putting limitations and restrictions on, on women. And then in the same passage, it's like, he's opening up all new kinds of possibilities for women. Yeah. And so it, it's like, yeah, you said muddlehead. It's just, it's confusing. So, so there has to be something else at work here. Um, it would certainly seem that way, right? Yeah. And so uh, two things come to mind here before I maybe present a couple of theories to you guys. Um, one is that uh, Gianna said she was a young woman, I think, uh, emphasizing the point, evidently, Jason, that you are an old man. Uh, so I just I just want putting words to, in my mouth. I just yeah. wanted. Well, that's the logical conclusion you're, that one would. Reach. You're the old, you're you're the oldest on this this screen Ooh. by by far, right? You just had your what do they call it? The uh, your is it your silver that's, birthday? What what? That's, it, I I don't know, but that's grainy video footage. We can't hear you right now. So <laughs> let's move on to my second point. Okay, all which right. is I I think it's important going into Paul that. Peter, of course, in referencing reading Paul, says in 2 Peter 3, Paul can be difficult to understand, and some people misunderstand and misrepresent what he's saying. So it's really important to go into Paul understanding. Anytime we go into Paul, we're going to be, in in a lot of passages, hacking our way through very thick you know, undergrowth rather than just running on a beach here. It's it's mm-hmm. you're going to have to do some work and follow Paul's uh, line of thinking and rhetoric that he uses. Now, so I want to I want to throw out two possibilities for this passage. And I'm I'm attracted to both of them because I I think although they're different and we'll see that, they both uh stay integrous to the idea that Paul is laying out that we've been tracking through the book, which is he is showing how the church is mimicking the world and uh, stratifying, lifting up, buying into this lie of superiority and favoring the superior position and really harming the marginalized and not being what the the body is. So it would be weird to me if all of a sudden, and we make an assumption in this passage that the problem is the women, 
That's got to be the problem. These women were out of control and they were throwing their their head coverings off and it was shameful and they weren't listening to the men who were, you know, telling them not to do it. And we make that assumption, but it never says that. And that would actually be kind of out of character with the rest of the letter, which is dealing with the concept of uh, who is, uh, you know, who's on top and and how we're going to flip this around the great status reversal. And there's like a flying ant on my, okay, hang on. I got to take care of this thing. Okay. There was like an eight foot flying ant that landed on the, on the screen next to me. Um, I've never seen anything like that. I don't even know what that was. I didn't realize um, ants flew. Well, it looked like an ant and it had wings. So I don't know if it's okay. some sort of yeah, weird alien no hybrid or whatever. Um, that's possible. So here are the two <laughs> theories, right? And the one I'll I'll do much shorter, and then we'll dig into the second one a little more. The first one uh, comes from Bruce Winter. We've talked about him and uh, some of his writings. And he says, in short, that 1 Corinthians 11 is, uh, in essence, the head covering issue, is men and women attempting to bring status markers into worship. That mm-hmm. elite men of the time, and this is kind of the theory I've gone with for a while here, um, elite men w- in Greco-Roman culture would pull their toga or you know some sort over their head as a head covering during religious ceremonies, and that signified that they were elite. Only the elite men wore that and did that sort of thing. He also argues that there's this concept in first century Roman culture, the new Roman woman, we'll call it, sort of the new era of, you know, women's rights and all that. And it was mostly elite, high-status women who were throwing off uh, some of the shackles that they saw of the culture. And so some of these Christian women were mimicking them, and they were taking off their head coverings. And Paul says, stop doing this. You're, you're bringing in, uh, you know, signs of status into the worship. And Winter argues that, for instance, the word that's translated angel uh, can also be translated messenger as just a normal human messenger. And he says, you know, watch out because you have, you have people from Rome watching you, the messengers. And they're trying to see what you're doing and report back. And so they're going to run back and say that you're this, um, you know, rabble rousing group that's uh, at least the women sort of throwing off social convention. So in essence, he's chiding them for bringing these markers of elite cultural status into the worship setting. Now, Lucy Pepiot uh, brings, I think, a fuller explanation, and, I, and I'll admit right up front that I am drawn to her explanation, and I find it um, reasonable and, and maybe the most convincing of this passage that I've read. And I've been trying to study this passage out for a couple of years now. And uh, she she has longer writings and more detailed, but if you want to get a fairly short book that's just on 1 Corinthians 11, 2 through 16, she has a book called Unveiling Paul's Women. And uh, allow me to sort of summarize, and if you guys want to stop and ask questions along the way, please do. But she says, 
for example, that we assume the problem in this passage is the women. But it's never stated. As I said, that would be out of character for the rest of the letter uh, for Paul to rebuke a marginalized group. That doesn't seem to be what he's doing in the rest of 1 Corinthians. She argues that in context, and she goes into this in a great deal of detail, seems much more likely that there was a small group of domineering high-status men who, after Paul left Corinth, were restricting women in ways that were not in keeping with the gospel or the custom of the church, that they were they were actually introducing some of the cultural standards of the world into the church, which again would fit with the pattern of 1 Corinthians. Because a, a more traditional view of 1 Corinthians would actually have Paul doing one thing in chapters 1 through 10, him completely going in the other direction for six, 15 verses, and then going back and doing exactly what he was doing the rest of the letter. So some of the problems Pepiot points out is if we read 1 Corinthians 11 at face value, she says then, as we mentioned here, Paul would be saying that men are full image bearers and women are not. That seems to be out of line with Scripture. That Paul is saying that men should not cover up their glory, which is theirs, because they are image bearers of God. Women have no glory of their own, but shouldn't shame men by being uncovered, having their head uncovered. This implies, says Pepiat, that men have a direct relationship with God and women do not. In essence, because they are direct image bearers, women are not. This would uh, kind of have contradictory views uh, of Genesis a little bit. There seems to be two readings of Genesis going on. And then she asks a question. Paul never, ever says that this is a cultural argument. Hey, let's do this because, you know, we want to not make waves in the culture. Uh, that's often been said. I've made that argument in the past. But she rightly states that that's not what Paul says. Apparently, in 1 Corinthians, it says, no, this is rooted in Genesis theology and the image of God. And she says, well, then why would women not be wearing veils today? Because he doesn't use a cultural argument. So if that's what Paul's saying, gee, you better pull your veil out for Sunday and uh, get it going. Or now, I'm assuming you don't wear veils already is is that a correct or an incorrect assumption that is correct but i have been pretty interested in it because as you know reggie and i were just living in germany for about a month yeah and there's many different cultures and ethnicities out there and there was many women were wearing veils so it made me think about should i be wearing what like where did this where did it start so mm -hmm, i mm -hmm. don't now but i was wondering where is the root of this? So that's such an interesting point because Pepiat points out too, which cultural standard would Paul be appealing to? Is it Jew? Is it Greek? Is it Roman? Because they all had different views at the time. In fact, uh, sometimes you'll see arguments like, here's what's going on in 1 Corinthians 11, and they'll argue, well, here's what veils were, but they're, they're keeping to the Roman view or to the Greek view or to the Jewish view. They were all different. They all had different standards. So what is Paul actually appealing to? 
She also has a long section, which I find very compelling, asking basically the question, would Paul be capitulating to the cultural standards and unwilling to challenge the status of a marginalized group? And she has, you know, tons of scriptures that she takes out of Paul where he's like, I'm unashamed. We're going to do things different. We're going to challenge. We're going to show the kingdom way. We're going to show freedom and difference and all of this. And not really where Paul says, hey, let's, you know, kowtow to the cultural standards, especially when it comes to keeping a group marginalized or, you know, underneath another group or whatever, that Paul is more than willing to challenge those things. In fact, she says, um, what's more likely for Paul to argue that their social status is overridden in Christ or that they should give into the culture first and foremost so as not to attract from the gospel? And she shows how it's Paul really challenges the culture and doesn't really have a pattern of uh, let's appease it. And she even points out the fact that Paul having long hair in Corinth, we know that he had long hair in Corinth because as soon as he got to Jerusalem, he cut his long hair, that that was kind of thumbing of the nose at the cultural standards. They didn't look real highly on long hair. And Paul's basically like, yeah, I'm going to do, do what I want. I'm going to do it different just to challenge that sort of thing. And then if we you know, have no custom where Paul says in verse 16, if anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other custom or practice, nor do the churches of God. If there is no other custom, then why are we not wearing head coverings, uh, women, if Mm. that is the standard? So, were the women out of control? The standard view is, as I said, they'd thrown caution to the wind, They were acting in shameful ways, not listening to their fathers or husband, which leads us to believe that either the men were colluding with this behavior, they were just overlooking it, or they were powerless to get the women to listen to them. And Paul has to come step in and intervene as though, and culturally, Jason, I think you know this would not make a lot of sense, that these women feel so strongly that they won't listen to their husbands, they won't listen to their fathers, they won't listen to the leaders of the congregation, but Paul can write a letter from another part of the world and they'll listen to that? Mm-hmm, like, that mm-hmm. doesn't seem to to follow necessarily. Um, she also points out that in this whole thing about them shaving their head, in essence, what that passage is saying is that this behavior of not covering their head is equivalent to that of a prostitute or adulterer of the day and that they should be treated as such. That seems rather harsh. So <clears throat> now here's the thing. Let me let me show you guys this. Go back one chapter to 1 Corinthians 10. All right, are you with me? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. So now I want to show you in verse 23 a passage where Paul seems to be having a meltdown. He's he he he's going back and forth with himself and can't seem to pick a side because he says in verse 23, I have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Now the, the NIV says you say, but that is not in the language. The NIV has inserted that in. 
So what it really says is, I have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. So I ask you this, what the heck is Paul, like, he's going back and forth. Is he arguing with himself? How should we understand that verse? And yeah, right. And and mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. the reality is now, if you look in the NIV, there's a quote quotation marks around. I have the right to say anything, and then it puts in you say, because we've assumed that Paul is doing what was very common in first century writing at the time. He's quoting something from them and then arguing with it. But in the original text, there's no marker of that. Greek ha- ancient Greek had no way to denote that. So there's no quotation marks. There's no, you say that that's not how they did it rhetorically. So we have to recognize when Paul is doing that. In fact, he does it quite a bit throughout the letter. He does it in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 12 and 13. He does it in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1. He does it um, in the passage we just read in chapter 6, 23. He does it in 1 Corinthians 8, verses 1, 4, and quite probably verse 8 as well. He does it in 1 Corinthians 10, 23. Sorry, I said 6, 23. 10, 23 here. She also argues, go over to 1 Corinthians 14 real quick. Mm -hmm. She argues that here's another example. And Pepiat says one of the ways that we know or that we kind of clued in that Paul is using this rhetorical device of quoting and then refuting is when you read Paul and you go, wait, is he having mental issues? Like (laughs) he's contradicting himself. That's confusing. That should be a sign that he's quoting the Corinthians or a cultural standard of the day. And so in verse 34, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful uh, for a woman to speak in the church. Now, she would. She makes the argument, we're not going to go into it here and some of her other writings, that this is an example of Paul quoting the Corinthians. And then there's actually a an utterance that's left out at the beginning of 36 in most translations because it's not an actual word. Uh, Bruce Winter says if you're going to translate it, it would be something like, <laughs> it's more like, what? And so what verse 36 actually says is, What? Did the word of God originate with you, or are you the only people that is reached? So he's actually refuting this argument about women remaining silent in the churches because we've all struggled with that passage because that seems out of character with everything else that Paul writes that women were doing in the church. And so now mm-hmm. with that in mind, let's go back to chapter 11 real quick. And in essence... And again, I'm not laying out all of the points of evidence that Pepiat lays out, but she says, this is what's going on in 1 Corinthians 11, that Paul is going back and forth with the Corinthians and refuting. And so according to that reading, Paul says, hey, I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the traditions and teachings just as I pass them on to you. So you're making every effort to do what I said. 
right? You're, you're trying, but I want you to have understood. She said, that's how that should be translated. Uh, what I wanted you to get from that was that the head of every man is Christ and the head of woman is man and the head of Christ is God. We don't have time to explain how she lays out what the meaning of that particular phrase. But then would be, now she supplies, as the NIV does, that you say. So you say, quote, every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, and every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is just as though her head were shaved. So now it's the Corinthians saying that, hey, the men should... Uh, you know, do it one way. The women should do it this way. And if they don't, it's like they're acting like a prostitute, basically. That's what the head shaved signified. Paul then comes back and says, so if a woman does not cover her head, she should have her hair cut off. So now he's going to kind of take their argument to the extreme. Really? That's how far you want to take this? And if it's a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut or shaved, she should cover her head? So he's kind of like, really? That's the degree to which you're going here? That it's it's like that? And then Paul says, you've explained to me that, and now here he's going to quote from them again, quote, a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of man, for man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. For this reason, and because of the angels, the woman ought to have a sign of authority on her head. So he says, she says, rather, that whole argument is a Corinthian argument, which Paul then refutes. He then says, what I am saying to you, though, is that in the Lord, Woman, and now this is why this seems contradictory, because it is. Paul is contradicting what the Corinthians were saying. Woman is not independent of or separate from man, nor is man independent of or separate from woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman, but ultimately everything comes from God anyway. This is Paul's argument, she says. So judge for yourselves. Is it really fitting for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Now, Paul's going to get sarcastic a little bit, which he does often. You think that the very nature of things, that's a quote from them, teaches you that if a man has long hair, so here's the Corinthian culture, if a man has long hair, it's a disgrace to him. Now, Paul probably says that with tongue in cheek because he was just there with long hair. We know that from Scripture. So then surely if a woman has long hair, it's her glory. So if we're going to follow the culture, if men are shamed by long hair and women have glory by long hair, then they don't need a head covering anyways because they got long hair. So he's kind of taking their argument to an absurd level and showing them it doesn't even make sense. For long hair is given to her in the place of a head covering. If, And then he, he sums it up. All right, let me sum this up and get serious. If any one of you wants to be dangerously divisive about this, you should know that we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. She then says, here are six ways that this reading makes sense of this passage. First, 
the passage takes on its own logic and pretty much the contradictions disappear because they're not contradictions in Paul's thought. It's the difference between what the Corinthian, this group of Corinthian men were teaching and Paul. Second, the problems that we have in translation and making sense of certain words cease to mostly become a problem because they're not Paul's words. Now we don't have to argue about what glory means and what some of these words mean because they're (laughs) Corinthian stuff anyways. Third, Paul's rejection of head coverings for women on the grounds that they're equal to men and that their hair, which is their natural glory, is covering enough, is entirely in line with the rest of Paul's thought in the letter and in other letters most specifically spelled out in Galatians, and she explains that in this book. Fourth, it makes sense of why Paul is telling them that there's no such custom, the wearing of head coverings for women in any other church. And and that does make some sense. I'll give my thought on that in a minute. Fifth, it's in line with other passage in Corinthians where it's recognized that Paul's responding to the letter from the Corinthians, repeating their own argument to them and then going on to refute it. And sixth, and finally, this reading accords with the view noted above that Paul is using this letter to address with some force certain ungodly practices that some in the church have implemented in his absence. And I would just sum up and say, if head coverings were the norm in the early church, then we would think we'd think that we would hear another mention of them somewhere in Scripture. Uh, but we don't. So it actually makes sense to me that the custom in the church was to not wear head coverings and that Paul is refuting that custom. And in fact, if you look at 1 Timothy 2, verse 9, and 1 Peter 3, 3, uh, Those are two different authors, Peter and Paul, talking about, hey, ladies, don't follow the custom of the day with the elaborate braided hair. And, uh, you know, it's it's uh, some translations have it braided. Some have it elaborate hairstyles. But he says, don't don't copy that. Well, that would seem to indicate that they weren't covering their heads, (laughs) that their hair was visible. Right. And so. The this singular reference in First Corinthians to hair covering seems to make sense if the Corinthian practice was actually the anomaly. And in summary, I'm not trying to make a bigger argument about the roles of women in the church. That's not what we're talking about right now. It's really not even about head covering. It's about that here we have another example of Paul challenging those who were trying to create a superior status in the church and cutting that down and saying, this is not how we're going to operate as the body of Christ. So what do you guys think about that? Yeah. Jana, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I'm not a scholar by any means. You know, I've been following God for four years and really being diligent about about my lifestyle and my beliefs, but what I take from it, or at least what it reminded me of was in this style in which, um, Paul is addressing things and, and what you're saying he continues to do. It reminds me of Matthew 15 when Jesus himself says, but you say that if anyone declares as he's talking, mm-hmm. um, you know, to the Jewish priests or people in high positions, you say that this is how it's to go, supposed to go, but, you know, it, he like flips it on his head. So to me, it mirrors right. the same thing. That's what mm-hmm. Jesus used to say when he was confronting people in power in the church. And now he's saying, Paul, in my mind, is showcasing the same thing. Like, 
yes, I know you've come from this way of kind of changing things a little bit or making it more than it is, but this is what it is. It's changed a bit. Let me get you back on course. So for me, it makes a lot of sense because I see Jesus doing that. And for someone like Paul, who I know is dedicated to showcasing or exemplifying everything that Jesus does, it would make sense that uh, this line of thinking would be what he's doing in, in the way of refuting what they've said before and presenting that case and then uh, making it clear. So I don't know if that makes sense to you guys, but mm-hmm. that's yeah. just what it reminded me totally. of. I was like, oh, he just is doing the same thing that he saw his teacher do or he heard about doing. Um, so that's a I, great point. I, I like, mm-hmm. I like the idea and it helps me understand it a little bit better. It made much more sense. The passage when, when you read it, the way in which the author was presenting it to you. So um, that's my initial thoughts so far. Um, it, it would seem to make a lot of sense. Very plausible. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I mean, it, the, there, there, are, there are some serious benefits offered by uh, Papiat's um, thinking here, uh, just in terms of clarifying things and making it a more readable passage. And and one of one of the one of the things her reading um, highlights is the um, the limitation of cultural readings, right? Like the, the because mu- much of our um, the way these these passages are dealt with is to try to discern cultural practices and then determine whether or not those should map. Uh, uh, according to God, according to the Holy Spirit, onto a contemporary culture, right? Whether or not it's a universal or if it's culturally contextualized. The, the whole enterprise is fraught with the uh, conjecture. So, so much of how these passages are dealt with are, they're not like ironclad uh, things that come from the text, but they're their uh, reconstructions, their people doing their best to make sense of them. And unfortunately, um, people have access to grind with this. And so it, that shades some of this. So I think what, what I've heard Papiat say in interviews, uh, what it seems like she's doing in her book is she's trying to side, not sidestep, but lay aside the cultural reading and, and, and try to get at it from a more rhetorical uh, analysis of Paul. Yeah, actually, also, actually looking at the text. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and that, that as well is holy cats, such a challenge, but right. I mean, it, it does, it does clean things up a bit and, and, and she's right. Like, uh, Paul seems to be on a regular basis, uh, spitting back at his interlocutors, what they've said, and then deconstructing it with a with uh, with this new life in Christ, saying, "You say this, like Gianna said, Jesus does that too. You say this, but holy cats, no. <laughs> Here's actually because of Jesus, and he uses the phrase in the Lord, um, uh, to, in this passage to suggest it, 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 which is suggestive uh, to me that there is a new new reality in Christ." Verse 11, which, Jenny, you pointed out verse 11, which which I do think is a kind of hinge on which the passage uh, 
like a door swings. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, it's it, the, okay. The other thing that she brings up that you've brought up is the extent to which our English translations of this passage are sometimes highly, but uh, not always, not always, it's not always significant, but it's, it's, um, it's definitely there in all English translation. It's interpretive that the translators and editors of our English Bibles have made certain decisions uh, about uh, these, the Greek available, <laughs> and and that's what sits before us, and which is why you have so many uh, differences in translation. I mean, yeah, you, you brought up so there's there's at least three words in here that are highly uh, challenging, right? right. The, the word for head, the right. word for glory, um, and then the word for um, man, right? Right. Aner is is it is it husband or is it man? And what's interesting is it's the same word in Greek, and um, in some translations they'll translate it at one point in the passage as man, and then later they'll change they'll switch and say to husband. Well, that's an interpretive move, um, and so I think uh, Pepiat's focus on dealing with the text, rhetorical analysis of Paul, focuses ba- us back on the Greek. And so this does become an issue of, of dealing with the Greek. Um, yeah. uh, Which, of and, course, and, and, she gets into uh, in detailed ways in her books. We just didn't go into that today. Yeah, absolutely. And she's qualified to do it. Right. Uh, unfortunately, not everyone is, <laughs> which is probably a good thing. And it, and it, it kind of what, what she does, it could be taken as what she's doing is putting the discussion more in the laps of scholars than the everyday person. But there's an extent to which that is the case. With some yeah. of this. These are these are meaty, <laughs> meaty uh, 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 sentences. You know, Paul is just he's dense. Um, uh, he packs a lot in. So. So, yeah, I. Uh, having said that, I'm attracted to what she's done. I, I, uh, it, it does put a nice, uh, bow on things and it makes what, um, what Paul is doing. It doesn't make him look schizophrenic. Um, it doesn't make him look chauvinistic. Um, but you're, you're right. It's, it's in, in, Either way, it's not an argument for what we call complementarianism or egalitarianism. That's not really the discussion here. Right. That that's a, that's a later lens that we should deal with. Um, and okay, and, and it demystifies the way Paul reads Genesis, which is the greatest challenge in my mind. As someone who's really spends a lot of time, I spend a lot of time with the Book of Genesis, and. You come out of a careful reading of Genesis and move right into, say, 1 Timothy 2 or 1 Corinthians 11 or 14. And you're like, yeah, Paul really does not. <laughs> Paul did not go to seminary because that's not how we read passages. <laughs> um, so so it's um, it, it does clarify in, in, um, that, that Paul's not, not nuts. Um, okay, but... The challenge to, to some of Pepiat's stuff is some of these things can be and have been explained by other 
uh, other, sure, absolutely. Uh, there are other ways. explanations. So, so there, there, there are. Uh, I, I'm thinking. I know we don't have time to get into all, but like Cynthia Long Westfall's arguments uh, mm-hmm. here. I mentioned Dorothy Lee earlier. Um, uh, R- Richard Hayes has some interesting uh, perspectives here, but um, but there are all sorts of uh, takes on this. <clears throat> What Pepiat's done is offered a suggestion that is, I don't, I don't know, it's not novel, but it's, um, it's something to seriously consider. Yeah. Uh, and, so, and she actually, in her book, goes back and shows how some, some of these points were being made as early as the fourth century. Yeah, uh, yeah, so totally. It's, it's definitely rooted, but I totally agree. And that's one of the points I wanted to finish off with here is that um, this is a theory I'm right. drawn to it. I find it interesting. I am as well. Uh, I think the very fact that there are so many from so many uh, reputable scholars should remind us Bingo. that uh, being dogmatic in this passage is uh, problematic because Bingo. it, it yep. is dense. It is difficult. I do uh, unabashedly lean towards an explanation that keeps in line with Paul's argument of let's status reversal flip here. Um, mm-hmm. That's what the kingdom is doing. So I, I do appreciate that reading. A couple other thoughts here um, from me. Uh, one is, uh, Jason, you mentioned the word interlocutor. Um, yeah. Just for those listening at home, if they don't know what that it, word is, that is a his person, dialogue partner. Yeah, a person yeah, who takes part yeah. in dialogue um, with them. That's one of those words that you and I use sometimes that yeah, it's, gets me, right. it ha- gets me emails. It, <laughs> yeah, but it, it reminds everyone how how smart we are yeah, well, and how sure. wide our, vo- our vocabulary is. Yes, G- Gianna, goal. are you impressed with how <laughs> smart Jason is? Yeah, that's how I landed my wife. <laughs> impressed? Yeah, that's a good word. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, impressed doesn't necessarily mean good impression, though. So yeah. you can have a bad impression. But it's impressionable, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Sorry, I, I did slip into an, an unnecessary word. His, yeah, s- no, some kind of a, imaginary person he's talking to or real people, whatever. Yeah. And, and I do want to say before we end today that um, Gianna, it might look to the untrained observer like we simply trotted you onto the show today because we were going to talk about a passage involving women. And so we wanted to have a women here on the, on the show to cover our bases, but it's actually happy circumstance. Um, you, you're actually going to be a reoccurring friend on the show. I, right. May call me a regular. I don't know. Regular. regular. Let's see where it goes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, maybe have an announcement, a formal announcement about that soon. But um, yeah, people should get used to your voice. If she starts getting Bigfoot gear and you're getting all the Bigfoot gear and I don't start getting something, I'm, I'm signing off, man. I quit. Okay. I don't know if you're aware of this, Gianna, but Jason is really jealous because people have been- They send Michael sending, gifts. Sending me Bigfoot gifts and he hasn't gotten Man. Any. I have if to you show, figure yeah, out if you something show up with something. Yeah, yeah. Like, why Game would over. someone get you a Bigfoot gift when you've done nothing but mock his existence? <laughs> oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Well, I can't say what, 
Would you even rep it if you got it is the question. Do you, oh, do you know what? Actually, Maybe people so, can I, buy you ghost stuff. Seems <laughs> how you tend to believe in them. I'll, t- I'll take it. I am. Um, I did get a Bigfoot t-shirt though, uh, by, by accident. Uh, it, it's a sub pop t-shirt and it's got the, um, the space needle and it's got a Bigfoot praising it. Okay. I didn't realize it was Bigfoot <laughs> when I bought it cause it's kind of artsy. But after a second look, I realized now I own a Bigfoot, Bigfoot tee. Okay. So well, that was you, the Lord. You have your Bigfoot shirt. I have mine. Gee, we got to get you one. And then we'll take a promo picture for the podcast and we'll all be wearing our, our Bigfoot shirts. I'm down for that. Maybe it's shirts that show our stance on the issue. Yes. But Bigfoot. You know, interestingly, mark. interestingly right. my shirt says, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> I'm undecided. Yeah. Yours would say, I believe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I will get one of those like Ghostbuster, like no smoking signs. There you go. You know, like the, the red thing with the. There yeah. you go. Yes. No big feet. Speaking of that, big new Ghostbusters movie coming out next month. I'm excited. Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Oh. Ghostbusters Afterlife. Look at the trailer, my friend. All right. Let's let's wrap her up. Um, and uh, next time we're going to hop back into 1 Corinthians 11 and look at why Paul tells the church there that the way they're taking communion is actually doing more harm than good. And what he means by that, how that uh, feeds into and and runs along with the theme of the great lie. So, Jason, Gianna, Mm -hmm. thanks for today, and we'll see you next time. Appreciate it. See you soon. Thanks for joining us today for this episode. If you have any questions, feedback, thoughts, comments, Please write to all things to all people podcast at gmail.com. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to it, like it, leave a review that helps other people find us, and please do share it on social media with others. We thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.